The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals, where they lay down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way, even if they are fools. They shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Father, we thank you for your word, your promises, that they are not simply words, but they represent a reality that is coming and is even now here among us. On this third Sunday of Advent, give us strength to rejoice and yet be patient in our confinement. We pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, and in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. And I would like for you to welcome my friend Sandra Lewis as she comes up. Oh, yes. Ooh, man. Oh, man, it's like that Seinfeld episode when they had the Merv Griffin set in Kramer's apartment. It's really funny. That's okay. You should watch this. Well, here's Sandra. Oh, wait, I've got to have the questions. Uh, each Sunday of Advent, we're asking uh, some people of St. Bart's to tell their stories, and we're using a common set of questions. You want to hold that? And so I'm delighted to, and if you don't know Sandra, I'm introducing you to her, but I'm delighted to help her share her story through some of these questions. So Sandra, how did you end up at St. Bart's? Through um, Ryan Flanagan, who is the worship director at All Saints. Uh -huh. I met him um, through an artist organization that we both were involved in. And I had been going to church. I mean, basically, since I was born, I've been in church. But I went through a period in my life where I felt like I wasn't getting what I wanted out of church. And so I stopped going hmm. for probably two or three years and just had coffee in, on Sunday morning, which I still do now. That was nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah, since yeah. we meet at night. Yes. And, um, but met Ryan and was really intrigued by what he had to say. It never had occurred to me to attend an Anglican worship service, didn't even really understand it. Hmm. And then we went on an artist retreat where I experienced an Anglican um, 
communion mm -hmm. for the first time. And then that next Sunday, I, I went to All Saints wow. for the first time. Wow. And then I met you. Yeah. And then I ended up here. <laughs> bada bing, bada boom. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's a great story. Thank yeah. you. All right. So you've been here three years now, right? I mean, almost from the very beginning. Yeah. So three or four years. What has God done in your life? Can you share with us something that God's done in your life while you've been here at St. Bart's? Yeah, I think um, the, the biggest impact being involved in this community has had on me is that I've gotten into a rhythm of worship. Hmm. So I love the whole church rhythm. I had never experienced that. I grew up in um, an Assembly of God church and then non-denominational. And, you know, we celebrated holidays, but not like this tradition. And so it's helped me get into a rhythm in my own spiritual life. Whereas I used to struggle reading the Bible and making time for that. Now I really make an effort to do morning prayer and evening prayer on my own and read um, and follow the common book of prayer, yeah. the outline of, of what that is. So that's had a huge impact wow, yeah. on my spiritual life. So there's been some formation then. Absolutely. Okay, that's great. Yeah. Wonderful. What would you, so with that in mind, We've talked about the ache of Advent in this season, sort of just this longing that we have for Christ's return when all things will be made right, uh, where everything sad will come untrue. What would you say, uh, because of your experience here at St. Bart's, to some out here who may be experiencing the ache of life right now? I would say spend time um, at the table. Hmm. And so spend time at the table, meaning God's word, he is our bread of life, but also spending time at the table with the community of people that you may be hmm. involved in. Um, life really does happen at the table when we share that with other people, when we feed ourselves, not only our body, but our soul and our spirits as well. Yeah, wonderful. Sandra, in, in conclusion, what does St. Bart's mean to you as you reflect on your time here? Well, I think, you know, the interesting thing was when you first talked about the fact that the All Saints East Dallas was going to be uh -huh. renamed St. Bart's uh -huh. and the whole idea that he was um, somehow like involved in um, just agriculture. I don't even yes, know. Is that yeah. the he word? Was the I mean, son of a farmer. He was the son yes. of a farmer. That really resonated uh -huh. with me because the Bible is just filled with so many examples of his goodness and his um, mercy towards us and how the earth provides and our role in that as well. I mean, even the scripture and the songs that we sing tonight talk a lot about he provides food for us. Mm -hmm. And so that really resonated with me. Yeah. And I love the whole mission and, and that, that idea of spending time with people who value that, and especially having the church named after him yeah. for that reason. Wonderful. All right. Can we pray for you? Yeah. All right. Thank you. Father, thank you so much for Sandra. Thank you for her, her mission, her joy, the way that you have transformed her through her time here. And thank you for her leadership. Uh, continue to form her in your image. Continue to feed her. And Lord, may she... Uh, facilitate the feeding of many, not just people here, but all, all over the East Dallas area. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you so much, Sandra. Y'all give her a round of applause. <clears throat> well, this, I think this has been my favorite thing this month is having everybody share because you guys basically preach my sermon um, for me 
So, but don't worry. I saw that sigh of disappointment slouch your shoulders down, so I'll still preach. Um, there's so many, so many words that I have to say, and I'm going to look at my watch once, and now I'm going to say the words. Did you notice that there is a pink candle on that? It, and it seems random, doesn't it? It's like, first of all, purple. That's quasi-random. And then pink, boom. Well, this is the third Sunday of Advent, and it is called Gaudete Sunday, which means rejoice, as in the chorus of O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel. And the, the church leaders who introduced this thought, this is kind of a dark and dreary season. It's kind of a little Lent. So let's, let's throw some things in there to liven it up. So this was the prevailing technology of the day that could liven things up. So we have this pink candle. But for us, it represents sort of a turn in the season of Advent. We're really getting closer to Christmas. It's actually going to happen. And so we have that bit of anticipation. But we also have this turn from, we had last week John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness. It's terrifying, it's scary. Acts is at the root of the trees. Baptisms by fire. Chaff being burned and destroyed, etc., etc. And now, this same John is in prison. And we have this prayer, this collect for the day. And did you notice the prayer? Did it kind of hit you, flick you on the ear maybe? Stir up your power, O Lord. There's something about this third Sunday of Advent that shakes us up a little bit. It's a bit of a winnowing. It's a bit of a shaking. And we can look right to Isaiah's poem in Isaiah 35 to show us what's on the way. This is an Exodus poem. Now you say, Jay, it's not in the book of Exodus. I know. But it's an Exodus poem because Isaiah is speaking to, to the people of Israel, Judah and Jerusalem specifically, but he's calling them back to where? Look at verse 1 of Isaiah 35 in your bulletin, on your phone, in your Bible, etc. What's going to be uh, glad and rejoice? The wilderness, the dry land, the desert. All those things will rejoice and blossom. The desert was the place of transformation and exodus and travel. So put yourself in the position of a, of a good Hebrew hearing the prophet Isaiah maybe for the first time or maybe even in Jesus' day hearing the prophet Isaiah read again. When they heard the words, the wilderness, or even thought about how John the Baptist went out to the wilderness, what must have gone through their minds? It's a little bit like going back to the beginning, isn't it? You know, Israel didn't really become a nation. They didn't take the land, if you will, until they made their pass through the wilderness. And that wasn't exactly a quick trip. Forty years, Psalm 95, 40 years long. I had to put up with this generation, God said, before he allowed them to enter into the promised land. So this wilderness, this desert, this dry land is a place of beginnings for Israel, but it's also a place of transformation. First of all, we see that this place of transformation will be transformed. It's going to rejoice. It's going to blossom crocus. It's going to blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The majesty of Carmel and Sharon, they shall see the glory of the Lord. So this dry place, a place much like where I grew up, and if a little rain fell and it became green and beautiful for a short time, 
But if not, it was brown and dusty. It was a little bit like later in Isaiah 35. It was like the haunt of jackals, even though we didn't have any jackals. It would have been cool. We had coyotes. Brown, plain, no real life there. And this place with no life is going to be a place that is typified by life. Verdant, lush, green, water flowing right through the middle of it. This is miraculous, this Exodus poem. But think about how also the desert is a place of transformation. Think about Moses. Even if you have to think Prince of Egypt, Moses, that's okay. Where was he when he encountered God? In the burning bush. In the desert. In the wilderness. And he experienced that transformation. Israel, they were transformed in the desert as they learned to follow God faithfully. Jesus, we know, as soon as he was baptized by John in the Jordan, was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. This place of desolation, but also this place of transformation. John the Baptist did his signature call for repentance, which literally meant turning around or changing your mind, which literally was an invitation into transformation. He did this in the desert, in the wilderness. So the desert is a place of transformation. It's a place that is being transformed in this Exodus poem that gives us a picture of ultimate things. Right? This is a picture of new heavens and new earth, of new creation, of that reality towards which all of history is moving by God's grace. That when Christ comes again in great power and glory, this sort of reality will be inaugurated. Now it's breaking in and fits and starts by the power of the Spirit his, where his kingdom is active. We're seeing little signs and hearing little whispers and echoes of it. But it will be full and final one day when Christ returns. But not only is this desert a place of transformation, it's also a place of confinement. And I'm going to use this Greek word, hopefully not using it incorrectly, and it's the word ascesis. And it's where we get the word ascetic or ascetical. So a person who would go out into the desert, like a desert father, a Christian, a follower of Jesus, wanted to be totally devoted to Jesus. And so he went out into the desert all by himself, and he was an ascetic. But I'm going to use it with the, with the Greek pronunciation, with the hard K, the ascesis. So follow me here. Eugene Peterson talks about ascesis in his book, Under the Unpredictable Plant, and he speaks of it as a place of confinement, whether it's voluntary or involuntary, and that confinement can produce transformation. Now think about life for just a second. Does life ever seem to just squeeze in on you? Just press down on you? And you're like, what is this? Why do I feel this? Life is a kind of ascesis. It is a kind of confinement, either voluntary or involuntary, that can produce transformation. So when we read verses 3 and 4 of Isaiah 35, 
remembering that the desert is also a place of confinement, that life is like this desert. As we journey, strengthen the weak hands, the prophet says, and make firm the feeble knees. And boy, did I need to hear this whenever I was reading this on Monday. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. And so in that place of squeezing, in that ascesis of confinement, whether you chose to go there as in a spiritual discipline, a silent retreat, isolating yourself for a season, or whether you find life putting you there by circumstances, it just so happens, you can hear the prophet speaking to you and to me, strengthen the weak hands. I know you don't think you have enough right now to keep going, but you do. Strengthen weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Isn't it amazing how the Bible speaks to the most basic situations that we face in life? Who of us haven't been in a situation where we We can't calm ourselves down. Where even our knees might shake a little bit or quake. Who of us haven't had, verse 4, an anxious heart? And we've wanted to tell ourselves, be strong. And maybe we have, and it's just created this weird cycle of, I can't be strong. Ah!" And I do it all the time, so I'm, I'm not making fun. I'm confessing or commiserating. But we need to hear that as life presses in, that the prophet has said that this is imaging forth this new heavens and new earth. And it's just like what Sandra said. I like St. Bartholomew because he's the son of a farmer. And what did James say to, his, to the church of God who was experiencing the ascesis of life, being confined in the situations of life? Be patient. Be patient, be patient, be patient, be patient, be patient. And think of the farmer. The farmer's patient. He waits for the early rains and the latter rains. And he doesn't run off to bail to try to make more rain happen. He is patient. He waits. There's purpose. It's not in here, but it's in verse 11 of James 5. And James references Job, which, sorry, my whiskers are making a sound and it's bothering me. Now I did that. James references Job, which is interesting, isn't it? Because Job did suffer. We know Job suffered greatly. And he went on and on for several chapters about how unjust the suffering was. And so we could, you know, kind of poo-poo on Job. But James points to him and says, in his suffering, there was purpose. And what was demonstrated was the compassion and mercy of God. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Be patient. Strengthen the weak hands. Make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong. Fear not. So we find ourselves confined. Someone else who found themselves confined was John the Baptist. He's now in prison in Matthew 11. He's in prison because he called out Herod because Herod had married the wife of his 
brother, it was half brother, and it's all, you know, gone to Hades and then some for Israel. And so John's in prison and he's in a place of ascesis. He's confined involuntarily. But look at what transformation will happen. Now, we see from what Jesus says, John's not like a guy who needs to, you know, he just needs to like read his Bible more and kind of like get into some more spiritual disciplines. John's kind of it. Jesus says, there is no one born of a woman greater than this guy. John is the guy. And eat, okay, so everybody hears that, right? Dude loves the Lord. He gets it. And yet, what does John say through his disciples to Jesus? Is this it? Now pause for a second. As life is squeezing in on you, 21st century America is not looking so hot. And what do we say? Is this it? Now, John didn't say, is this it? He said, are, are you the one for whom we are waiting? Are you the one who is to come? But John says, is this it? And the prayer that we pray today, stir up your power, is a prayer that John could have prayed. Can you imagine him in that prison cell? Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us so that your bountiful mercy and grace may speedily help and deliver us because we are sorely hindered by our sins. We may find ourselves not even be able to pray that in, this, in our moment of confinement. But we remember that confinement brings transformation and that we need to be patient. And how does Jesus respond to John? Well, he quotes Isaiah. <laughs> Go and tell John that the desert will bloom. The lame will leap. The mute will speak. The deaf will hear. The dead are raised. So Jesus takes John in his face and his hands Again, he's not with him because John's in prison, but I'm. And he says, John, all the things that you've come here to continue, this prophetic ministry to the people of Israel and to the nations, ultimately, I'm fulfilling it. In fact, John, you're the last of the prophets, you're the final one. In fact, John, you are greater than anyone who's born of a woman. Yet, the reality that I am ushering in, Jesus says, the kingdom that is coming in me, the word made flesh, is so much greater than this reality that the least in this kingdom that I inaugurate with my flesh and blood, my obedience to the Father, the least in that kingdom is greater than this last of the prophets. Friends, you and I, in the kingdom of God, co-heirs with Christ and heirs of our Father, adopted 
sons and daughters, with the indwelling Holy Spirit in us, testifying to our spirits that we are children of God, teaching us to pray, Abba, Father, not a spirit of slavery to fall us back into fear, but a spirit of adoption. We, because we are in Christ, in him, we are greater than John. And even John had to say, is this it? Are you the one? And I would dare imagine that we have said that. Is this it, God? Is this really it? This collect for the third Sunday of Advent, I'm renaming it today, well, just for today, not for time immemorial, the collect for Eschesis. When life has hemmed us in, or as David might have said in Psalm 18, when our enemy had us surrounded, this is a prayer to pray. Look at that prayer in your bulletin. John could pray this prayer. When it's hard to be patient and wait for the early and the latter rains. When it's hard to remember that this is more than just a metaphor, that this is a cosmic reality that has been inaugurated in Christ, that is being tended by him from the Father's right hand, that is being perpetuated and continued by the Holy Spirit now in the midst of God's people, his bride, his church, his family, we remember that these are more than words, but these are reality. And when life presses in on us, when life confines us, we can shrink back. We can just sort of curl up in a ball. I do that a lot. Or, with, with the last bit of might that we have in us, Knowing that in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect, we can pray this prayer. Stir up your power, O Lord. We sometimes feel so powerless to make any change, to do anything. And with great might come among us. Guys, this is a prayer for now and for the kingdom to come. Stir up your power, O Lord, and with great might come among us now and in your coming kingdom. It echoes the Lord's prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. It acknowledges the true state of our being and just the simple reality. It didn't take a bunch of studies to figure this out. And because we are sorely hindered by our sins, let your bountiful grace and mercy speedily help and deliver us. God's mercy and grace is boundless. It's unfathomable. It is without end. And it is ours to receive. Is life squeezing you? Think about that for a minute. Is life squeezing you? If so, how 
Maybe you want to write this down. How is life squeezing you? A situation or a, I don't know, write down the phrase or a word or something. Can you pray that prayer in light of this ascesis? Can you be patient like the farmer? Now remember, we're not orphans here. We're not without help or without a comforter or a counselor or one who comes alongside. No, Jesus said that when he went to the Father, he would send the Holy Spirit, God himself, not only to live in us, but to be upon us and among us, to illumine our hearts to the knowledge of Christ, to the reading of God's holy word, and to let the kingdom realities that are coming to break in even now, where the mute can speak, where the deaf can hear where the lame can walk, where the anxious can breathe peacefully, when the troubled can be at peace. This isn't a game. This isn't a trick. This is part of our formation that God lovingly bestows upon us. Let us pray. God, we need you in your power and your bountiful grace and mercy to transform us now. We pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on us to give us wisdom to see the light at the end of the tunnel, the the second coming of our Lord Jesus. That your Holy Spirit would give us encouragement and vision and hope to carry on. But most of all, God, we pray that you, God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit would so plant in us the reality of your kingdom, your very self, that we would desire you and that everything else would fade away. Even now, Lord, in our time of confinement, in our time of imprisonment, form us, shape us as we wait patiently and expectantly for you. To Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen.